0: Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer.
1: Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment.
0: Like what you hear? Have something to add?
1: Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome to Life on Pause. This episode, we explore the topic of limb loss due to cancer. Four voices share their experience of amputation as part of their cancer treatment. Let's meet our panel. My name is
2: Jake and my wife Brianna. I was diagnosed with osteoblastic osteosarcoma in September of 2015. So I was 25 turning 26 years old and um, I went through some pretty intense chemo that ended in a left arm disarticulation. So I completely had my left arm removed all the way up at the shoulder. All this was through Penn State Hershey. After that, we were able to have a son through in vitro fertilization. And then a year and a half later, we were able to start the process and have a little girl on the way also through in vitro fertilization. So life has been pretty good afterwards.
3: My name is Astrid. I'm 23, about to be 24 in August. I was diagnosed when I was 16 with synovial sarcoma. I currently had lived at the time at Lancaster, but I did get treated at Hershey. As a result of my treatment, I did lose my right leg. I had a total um, hemipelvectomy. I was in treatment for about three and a half years. I now currently live in Johnstown, PA. So it's pretty far from my hometown and. I think it's been a challenge to because I was so young, but now that I'm like getting older,
4: I feel like it's getting better for me. My name is Aubrey. I'm 34 years old and I lost my left leg to um, fibrosarcoma when I was 20 months old. So I have only really known uh, being an amputee. And uh, I went through about two years of chemotherapy, and then relapsed, and ended up going through a little bit more chemotherapy. But I've been cancer-free since I've been about five years old, and um, now I am a four-diamond social worker and work at the hospital um, at Penn State Children's, where I was treated. Life's good.
5: I'm Sophie Webb, 25. I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma at 15. I live in Huntington. I drove two hours away. For all my treatments, I lost my left leg. It was hard when I was so young, but now I'm older and I have a fiance. So that so that
1: kind of leads us to our first question. Maybe Christy shared that it was, and Astrid that it was quite hard when they were younger. Things are shifting and changing now as they they're older. So, from everybody, what time periods or ages were easier or more difficult?
5: I'd say in high school is a lot harder because I wanted to be with my friends, but I was two hours away. Everybody was going to prom, having parties, hanging out with friends, and I was in the hospital all that time. I couldn't hang
3: out with them as much. Oh, I could kind of agree with you, Christy, because. Actually, that was my senior year. I was graduating early and I got accepted into like RN school. Like I was going to go to school to be an RN and I had like so many things planned and then just things changed, you know, in a couple hours. And then I just, everybody that I grew up with or went to school with, they were kind of like just worrying about prom and other things when I was like worrying about, you know, (laughs) being in, Hershey. And then like at the time when my graduation did come around, I had to actually not go because I was so sick and stuff that they kind of made me repeat the whole school year. So I actually graduated a year after I was supposed to. So when I graduated, I kind of graduated with a lot of people I didn't know because I didn't physically go to school for a long time. So it was kind of like strange because people knew me, but I didn't know them. I mean, my high school was very like supporting and they did raise money for me and my family. So like, I'm really grateful for that. But I think it was hard that like, I just didn't get to experience the things like everybody else did.
6: For us, Jake's cancer came, well, it was there for a while, but it came to a head right after we got married in 2015. Just a quick recap of what our year was like that year. um, We were... We got engaged in 2014. In January 2015, he woke up with some really random arm pain. We got married in July of 2015, went on our honeymoon. He was in excruciating pain the entire time. And then he fell and broke his arm almost a month after our honeymoon. The broken arm was right at the site of the cancer. So that's how we learned that it was cancer was because he had broken his arm. He had done a couple of different therapies to try and figure it out, but they weren't anything super intensive. They weren't anything through a hospital. But the, like I said, the breaking of his arm is what led us to the diagnosis. Uh, he was sent to Hershey and that is where he had got his diagnosis. That is where he was treated. He lost his arm in March of 2016 from the cancer. It was basically dead by that point because they had given him a lot of chemo up until March, but just because of the chance of recurrence, they wanted to completely remove the arm. So, um, they basically took it right out of the socket and (laughs) so he has nothing here, pretty much flat. There's a little bit of like a, we call it a flipper, a little bit of a flipper here. But, um, other than that, he has nothing there, which we celebrate that day, March 11th, 2016. We've had sort of like mini parties just with our family about that day, just because it was probably the best day of our lives. <laughs> Jake was no longer dealing with what he had been before. He went through some more chemo and we fin- he finished in September of
2: 2016. Yeah, so I've been five years since surgery almost a total of five since chemo was done on September 2nd. Through that time, I dealt with comas that I was in for a couple days due to chemo. I dealt with pain. I dealt with all sorts of stuff. The worst part for me, I would say, was just being just married, having a new wife that I'm supposed to be able to take care of and support. And within a month and then... Within a month, falling and breaking my arm and being incapable of doing anything. And then a month after that, finding out this diagnosis of cancer. And then a short period of time after that, losing my job. So now, you know, a new family, a new house, facing death, no job, no income, you know, just my wife's income, constant stays at Hershey. We were lucky enough to have a great family support. We were never left alone. Um, up until about Christmas time, both my parents, every single chemo treatment stayed in Hershey. They paid to rent a hotel room to stay in Hershey so they could be there with us. Uh, there was always somebody in my room with me, whether that was Brianna, whether that was my mom, my sister, a brother-in-law, my dad. somebody was always there so. Our family became closer than we were before.
7: Which is crazy. Because
2: <laughs>
6: it's incredibly close anyways. Yeah. So it's hard to believe that you could become any closer than that. Just being
2: married, we had been together a little over eight years before we got married. And you wouldn't think that there's much closer that you could get, but it's happened. So, you know, a lot of relationships have arguments sometimes and that doesn't really happen. Because, uh, you know, everything else in life is pretty insignificant when you look at what not just I went through or we went through, but our entire family. And uh, because of that, we're working very hard to start up a nonprofit foundation. So we're trying to make a very, very good thing out of a very bad thing. And we're not shy about talking about it at all with anybody. I don't think anybody in our family is.
6: There's one quick thing I wanted to add. Jake had said about how he we had just gotten married and he felt like he was supposed to support me and having a new wife and everything. And I just, this one moment really sticks out in my mind. Um, I can't remember exactly when along the treatment lines it was, but But I have kind of a fear of glass, like broken glass. I fear that it's going to get like in my skin and I'm going to have trouble getting it out, like stepping on it, that kind of thing. And it had to be before, somewhere before he lost his arm. And he was pretty um, immobile and not able to do much. And I remember I dropped a glass on the kitchen floor and I just completely broke down into tears. And I just remember saying out loud, how am I going to clean this up? What do I do? You're supposed to be able to help me. You're supposed to figure things out, you know? And it was just a, a really difficult moment for me. Um, obviously, you know, you get the dustpan out, you sweep it up, it's no big deal. But it's just a dis- very vivid description of what he was explaining when he said that he felt like he was supposed to take care of
4: me. And I guess in a way, I felt that way too. So I guess my experience is like a lot different than all of yours as being so young and losing my leg. I didn't really know any different. The only thing that sticks out in my mind really, though, is My parents didn't tell me, I mean, how do you tell a 20 month old that they're going to lose their leg? But I was a pretty savvy, smart uh, 20 month old. So when I woke up and didn't have a leg, I was super mad at my parents and I didn't talk to them for a while and I kind of shut down. So like that kind of sticks out in my mind about being pretty difficult. Not that I have vivid memories of it, but I mean, I'm told about it and I can understand how that, how that could have been troublesome for a young child. But throughout my life, I didn't really have, I mean, I struggled doing some things that, you know, my friends were doing or keeping up with them. But my parents were super big advocates with like never treating me any different. So I have two younger sisters and it was always, we all did the same things. We all played sports. My parents never babied me. It was like, if I was resting with my leg off and asked for a glass of water, they were never like, oh yeah, we'll get it. They were like, no, get up and get it yourself. Like you can do it. Which I think really made me into the person I am today because I don't ever even think about myself as like an amputee or, you know, that I can't do things. I don't let the amputation define me. I feel like I define it. So I think that my parents really gave me that as a gift, um, growing up because I was never, it never held me back. And a few years ago, I, um, right after I got married, actually, I cut the bottom of my stump. And it got infected and I didn't tell anyone. And I ended up needing surgery and a revision done because I let it get really super bad. Because again, I was a new wife, and you know, I'm supposed to be this nice little wife who's helping take care of this family and start this new life. And I didn't want to let anybody know that I was any different. So yeah, I let it get really bad and then had to be taken care of and had to get a new shell. And you know, it was just not a great time, but yeah, so. That was probably one of the most difficult times too, is like actually having to take a step back and knowing like I am different and I do need help. So that's the biggest like thing I had to overcome in my adult life with having been an amputee.
1: So we started to hear stories also about how the people that love you are affected um, and you know how Aubrey's parents tackled that, um, how it affected Brianna. I'm wondering from the two moms with us tonight, what were some of the hardest moments or aspects of your child's experience?
0: I'm Tina. Um, I'm Christy's mom. I'm still emotional about Christy's cancer. I found out she was involved in the 4-H program and I had horses growing up. And so she, when she was old enough, to have a horse she joined the 4-H program at, at uh, Huntington Fairgrounds that there were so many kids and parents that were involved and in taking care of these kids and the time that Chrissy was jumping she had a miniature horse because she's pretty fatigued and she was jumping her miniature horse when she said she felt like a, a crack in her knee you know and I didn't do anything about it because she was so young. I was thinking that maybe maybe it was a matter of uh, just, and she didn't complain much after that until she went to school. And the gym teacher, she was doing the treadmill because she said she her knee hurt. And so I had my husband take her up to the pediatrician to have it checked out and um the pediatrician said that i think it's just a sprain but we'll have an x-ray done and i've worked in the hospital i worked in the operating room for 40 years of my life and um i was there and my husband came in to with christy and the uh radiologist had called down to the or where i was working at the time and said that your husband's been exposed to metals and she couldn't do an MRI with him in the room. And Christy wanted me in there. So I was able to get out of the case and go up to the x-ray department and, uh, she did the MRI and, and afterwards she showed us it. And at that point she told us, she said, I think she has bone cancer. I, I I can remember going home, getting ready to go to Hershey that same day and just crying. And I knew I had to be strong for her, but it was hard. The day that they came in and said that they had to amputate her leg, she was with us. And after she fell asleep, my husband and I walked out of Hershey and there was this huge rainbow across the sky. And I knew at that point that. Everything was going to be okay. Um, she's been as, been with us and she's now 26 years old and they're still working on trying to get a wedding together. I mean, we, the wedding, we had everything planned for the wedding already and we're hoping it comes real soon now because she's doing really good, but, uh, it, it was difficult. And I'm sure for every family here on this podcast, they've had the same emotional, Roller coasters and, uh, you are all strong people and I appreciate this.
7: I'm not sure I can even talk about it. I'll give it a try. It is emotional. I don't know how you just sat there and talked for 10 minutes without losing it. I, I envy that. It was definitely the worst time in my life and my husband. We still can't really talk about it. However, I remember getting the phone call. I think Jacob and I were together. We hung out after, you know, he broke his arm. Brianna was hard at work. And <laughs> so he got the call that said it was cancer. I mean it was just pretty, pretty blunt and out there. And I just remember Jacob saying, I don't want to die. And um we are people of faith. And I agree with Jacob and Brianna. March 11th was the best day that it was it was a new birth. it was definitely a great day. but I can also tell you that before we even knew the cancer diagnosis um, when Jacob's arm was broken and it was incapacitated he could he couldn't use it it was no good and from like that first day he started teaching himself how to do things, how to tie his boots, how to type on the computer, how to do everything. I don't ever remember him complaining one one time, not not one time. I've never seen frustration. I've never seen anger. Maybe Brianna has. I I don't know, but never once. And I, I can say cancer was the absolute worst thing, but In some ways, it was almost the best thing too. But like they said, our family was tight. Didn't know it could be any tighter, but it was. And these grandkids are amazing. And Jacob and Brianna have just been, I mean, such an inspiration to so many people. Cancer is such an evil thing, but so much good has come out of it. And I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I'm just not overwhelmed with gratitude, and these these kids I'm listening to it's just unbelievable. This is what life's about tears
1: um gratitude, unexpected joy that comes along with a cancer diagnosis. I think for a lot of listeners, that's not something that you would maybe predict as part of this, but also, this is a savvy panel, you know that it isn't always these gifts that happen, the closeness of the family, the benefits that come out of this. So one of the big challenges is adapting to life without a limb. And you started to talk about that, about how Jake started tackling it right away. And Aubrey's always talked about, I don't quite remember ever not having it, but I'm curious if everybody could weigh in, like, what was it like to adapt to just
3: daily tasks. My experience is like, I don't know, I went, I feel like sometimes think about it like I became a new person because there were so many things that I like doubted myself. And then now that I see myself, it's like I did everything that I said that I would. And like, it's just crazy to think when I was 16, I was like, so angry at the first time when I found out and like I remember the day that I was told because it it was kind of weird because everything started away so quick for me because once I found out, I went directly to Hershey and then, um you know, they were doing all the tests and everything else. And then like at first it was more like they really didn't know if they could do the surgery and I would survive because it was so aggressive. I had stage four. So it kind of went through like, you know, I went through so many emotions because at first it's like, maybe I won't lose my leg. Maybe I won't, you know, it was kind of hard for me. Um, and then I do remember the day that I went back after I got chemo and then they told me like, you know, in order for, for you to, you know, be cancer free, like you'll have to lose your leg. And it was just like, from that moment on, I heard those words and like, I couldn't react to it. Like, I just remember getting in the car and just sitting in silent and My mom and my brother and my grandma were just, they looked worried because they were like, she didn't say anything. She didn't react. But I went home that day and I just sat on the porch and like, I just, I think I was thinking about it and just, you know, it was so hard to hear that. But later on, like, you know, my last chemo was on my 17th birthday. So after that, it kind of like started to feel like, you know, there is going to be, you know, light out, out of this. So I kind of just didn't want a nurse. I kept telling my mom, like, my grandma's actually an RN. So my grandma took care of me. But it was more like she's my grandma. I think I adapted pretty quick because I just felt like I needed to like I had no other option to I just told myself, like, this is your new life. And you can't just throw it away because a lot of people don't get a second chance. And I felt like that's what motivated me to like, adapt myself to clothes or like to just do anything and. And now it's like, I've never had like a aid or anything else. Like I've been living by myself for three and a half years. And it just feels like I was so doubtful in the beginning, but now it's like nothing to me. I'm, it's normal to me to be this way.
2: I agree with the whole uh, normal thing. Like my mom kind of said, it was put on us very early. Your treatment will be chemo and you will lose your arm. There was no possibility of keeping it that we knew of at the time. And uh, there were some doctors at Hershey that up until the very day that they did the surgery were determining whether or not new technologies with limb sparing was even a viable possibility for us. In the end, obviously it was not. I'm very stubborn and hard-headed. I don't like being told that I can't. I don't like people thinking that I can't. The one thing I asked my surgeon before surgery was, am I going to still be able to drive? I recall his answer being something like, well, it's not like you drive manual transmission cars or anything like that, which is the furthest thing from the truth. All I own is manual (laughs) transmission cars. To this day, I still drive those. Like my mom said, I I wear steel toe boots to work every day. I still tie my own boots every single day.
6: Working on figuring out how to tie our our
0: son's shoes.
2: (laughs) We are in the process of remodeling our basement. A lot of that work is being done by myself. My dad comes over on the weekends to help out a friend every now and then. The stigma of I have one arm and cannot is very, very false. I can do a lot better with one arm than most people can with the two that they have. We burn a fireplace all winter long. I split wood for our house. Anything and everything. I can. Changes
6: diapers. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <Can't> change <laughs> diapers on our son.
6: <laughs> he does it all. <laughs> And he never asks for help. Just like his mom said, he, he doesn't complain about it and he doesn't ask for help. And I sometimes I just let him struggle and that sounds terrible, but I'll just like watch him doing something and I'm like, you can always ask me for help. And he's like, I don't need help. <laughs> so At work,
2: we make a cat under the Arm & Hammer brand. And if any of you have cats, you know that some of those boxes can be pretty heavy all the way up to 40 pounds. We get giveaways fairly frequently. One week it was, Cat litter boxes, 40 pound cat litter boxes. And we were putting a bunch of them on a cart, and my boss handed me a cat litter box, just like not thinking on our walk back to the office. I said, I really appreciate you handing me that box. And he goes, You're welcome, but why? (laughs) I said, Most people, when they look at me, would never do that. You know, his answer was, That never crossed my mind. I actually forgot that you're missing an arm there. Adapting was pretty quick. It's either you do or you don't. and don't's not really an option. Nope.
1: So Jake just talked about how other people perceive him and how thankful he was that his coworker didn't um, even blink an eye and, and threw him the, or maybe not through, but he did give him the, the 40 pound box. But that's not the case for, for everyone that you meet. One of the questions that we had wanted to cover was how do you cope with how other people perceive you? And maybe also in there, like what recommendations do you have for someone who is closer to their invitation um, date?
6: As a wife, I want to answer this question. How other people perceive him, uh, it really bothered me at first. Um, and we weren't sure how it would make us feel at first. We weren't sure if we would be offended by people's comments. We weren't sure if we would make jokes about it. it turns out we're the, we make jokes about it. So it's all good there. But um, I, early on, I remember being really offended if anybody looked at him the wrong way or I still get a little offended if if people are staring in my head I'm like what are you looking at but that's my experience as a wife I feel like I need to defend him I guess
2: the biggest thing I've noticed is uh, with Memorial Day having just been yesterday the Memorial Day parade in Hanover has been in tradition for my family ever since I can remember and probably before that I was wearing a Jacob's Army t-shirt, that's the foundation we're attempting to start up, to the parade, and two police officers came up to me and thanked me for my service in our uh, United States military. And how do you tell a police officer that you are not a veteran politely and make them not feel dumb? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I really get that a lot, you know, the, the beard and the missing arm, everybody thinks that I served in the military. And I always have let down no, you know, I just had cancer and they cut it off. I wasn't in (laughs) Afghanistan. And
6: it's awkward. Um, People don't know what to say.
2: (laughs) I could care less how people look at me, honestly. (laughs) People look at me funny. They ask me in public, do I need help? I don't want your help. I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm not a charity over here. I can do it myself. Shelly, you said about helping somebody who's going to lose a limb. Mm -hmm. We had a friend, unfortunately, he did pass away. We met when we went up to uh, give gifts at Hershey as Jacob's army. My family came over and said that there was this young gentleman, my age, 26 years old, the same time that I was diagnosed, who had the same cancer. It was in his knee and he'd really like to talk to me. So I went and talked to him. We exchanged phone numbers. Uh, He had a pretty, grim outlook personally in his mind about it. He didn't know how to deal with it. Some probably lots of depression there. He already had a kid. He had another one on the way. And uh, he just didn't know how to cope. He He was about to lose his leg. And to him, his life was ending completely. And over the next couple months, we talked. I even went up the day of his surgery, was in his room that night with him for an hour or so with him and his wife just to see how things went and um, by the time he got to the point of surgery he was ready to lose it he didn't want it anymore he didn't care that it was going he would frequently send pictures of doing anything with one leg and uh, I can't relate to not having a leg I think that is way harder than not having an arm <laughs> I mean, you get out of bed and you need both of those things to move. Like I can deal without an arm, but this guy is standing on one leg, no prosthetic of any type. He was like demoing a wall or something with a sledgehammer. And months prior to that, he never in a million years would have thought of doing that. It's a big deal, but you can live without a limb.
7: Yeah, I was going to say, um, earlier, well, this sort of, and this moves into it. And I think what, what you just said, that's what I mean. All of you kids that have gone through this and, and spouses, parents, whoever, it's amazing because what you can give to somebody facing it is hope. So my point is what these kids can give to other people is what Jacob just talked about it's hope you can give them hope like this is not the end of the world but what i was going to say prior to that it's also a mindset it's you you can choose to be a victim or you can choose to be a victor and just every one of these stories here it just blows it blows me away i mean you guys are such heroes it's it's just unbelievable but it is the hope that you can now pay forward to whoever might be going through that next.
3: I think that I struggled in the beginning like um sometimes you have like social anxiety because even with my friends like I joke around with them and I'm like you know when people ask about me like how do you introduce me like yeah that's my friend that has one leg and like I don't use a prosthetic so it's very obvious like I use crutches I don't use a wheelchair. Like I'm very adamant that I don't want to be in a wheelchair because I say like, once you get in that wheelchair, you kind of get so used to that, that you depend on that, that I don't want to do that. But, um, I didn't know anyone at the time when I had my amputation. So I think that was very hard for me because I didn't see anybody. I didn't know anyone. And also like the town that I grew up in was so small that like everybody knew everyone. So everybody knew about my cancer. Everybody knew everything. So like, even before I met someone, they knew about me and my name is Astrid. So it's not really common. So a lot of people knew, like when they talked about me, like they knew exactly who I was. And I, sometimes I think that if I would have met someone or, you know, that went through an experience like that, like, you know, Jake, that you shared that with that person, like that is so special that you took your time and you did that because I didn't have that, but I did meet great people that like did go through different types of cancer. Not the same thing as me, but the emotions that I went through, they could relate to it. And just about two years ago, I think it was, I went to Thon with my mom and my brothers and there was a girl who was actually 17. She was in a wheelchair and we were, you know, on the floor talking to like our org and she kept, my mom said she kept looking at me. And my mom said, My mom's a person that just goes up to people and she's very sweet and just went up to the girl and was like, Do you wanna meet my daughter? Like, you know? And we went up to her, we started talking and we kinda haven't stopped talking since. We've kinda we're so far apart in age, but it's kinda like she says all the time, like, the things you say to me is the things that I think about and I said, I I understand because I was that age and I was a girl and it was so different for me to go through that, but I always tell her, like, you'll get through it. She's a really great person. And I think that if I could say to other people, like, you know, sometimes it does bother me, like Brianna said, people stare at me all the time. And I always say to people like, It bothers me more to stare at me than to just ask me to like, you know, what happened to you or I get all the time, like I work in a I work at a doctor's office, so I have a lot of elderly patients, all types of people. And a lot of the patients are like were you in a car accident? What happened to you? Were you in the army? Because you look really young to be in the army. And I was like, no, I just had cancer. And it just becomes like really awkward after that because they think like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's not really that sad, but yeah.
2: <laughs> when people look at me funny or ask about it, kind of like Astrid said, I make them guess. They have to guess at least three different things before I'll tell them. And uh, one lady thinks that it is possible to have your arm blown off by lightning. That is the best one I've ever heard.
0: Oh, when in
1: doubt, always goes shark attack. That's
3: always a good story. Actually, that's what I was going to say. A lot of kids, when they see me, they always tell their mom, mom, she got bit by a shark because they've seen the movie Soul Surfer, how she lost her arm. So a lot of kids always say that to me. Like, did you get bit by a shark? And I'm like, no.
2: We met a guy at a rock show who was playing drums. And he came up to me. I was wearing a long sleeve flannel and he asked me what happened. And Brianna right away said shark attack. And he goes, no way, me too, because he didn't have his arm. And I said, no, I actually had cancer. And he goes, yeah, I didn't get attacked by a shark either. I was born this way. And he, in public, went to unbutton my flannel so he could see what was left. It was the weirdest thing.
1: Yeah. So there sounds like there are some strange moments with strangers and your. And how they think they can touch you, apparently, and and ask questions or not ask questions. Like what, what haven't we covered that you would really want someone else to know or your younger self to know? Like what do you wish that you would have known earlier?
2: I would tell anybody young. We covered this in a previous podcast, but anybody young, whether you think you want to have children or not, if you're a female, go through the process as painful and as excruciating as it may be to freeze your eggs. If you're male, go through the process to freeze your sperm because you can always get rid of it if you don't want it. But once it's gone, it is not coming back. And if we did not make the decision to go through that process to freeze my sperm, we would not be having our own biological children because I am sterile completely from chemo in a weird kind of way that kind of comforts me because. If the chemo was strong enough to completely wipe that out, chances of that cancer coming back are pretty slim. But, um, that's my biggest thing to anybody going through this process that's young.
3: I just want to add that on like what Jake said, because, um, I actually didn't do that because, you know, I don't know if, I think my family was trying to process everything that that kind of got put away. My mom didn't know how to ask me, but, um. I would definitely say that because now that I am turning 24 and like, I'm actually going through the process of going to a fraternity clinic just to find out like, what are my chances? What are not? Because I didn't get to do that. Um, even though I'm not married or anything, I think that that's one of the hardest things that like, when I'm in a relationship now and in the beginning, it was hard for me to talk about that because I didn't even know how to bring it up that there could be a chance that I can't, I won't be able to have my own biological child, but that there's so many things out there that we can try. So I would definitely say that I would recommend any young girl who goes through something like this to fight for that, because even if you don't want it when you're older, it's just good to have that kind of back plan that you do have that option.
1: I'm wondering, Aubrey, if you can put on your hat as a four diamond social worker and talk a little bit just about that for everybody um, preserving before treatment isn't an option and pros and cons of that part.
4: Yeah. So from my understanding, anyone who is of like childbearing age is offered the option to do that. Um, But I do know for females that there's a very specific window of time that you would have to. In order to be able to produce your eggs and get them extracted and then preserve them, you have to delay chemo for a period of time. So I do know that for some people, that's not an option just because their health is, you know, at such a high risk. They try to really be able to get that process moving as quickly as possible. Um, but I do know it doesn't yeah, it doesn't start until after like your next period. So like you would have to then like wait for your period and then you can start injections and things like that in order to produce the hormones that you would need in order to be able to retrieve your eggs. So I know that that's a much lengthier process than I'm sure like Jake that you may have gone through. And I think it's like three deposits. I don't know the right words <laughs> Um <laughs> or something like that. Like
2: I can't remember how it was. So just to clarify, even though we did in vitro, Brianna, although she had no cancer, no medical issues, she still had to go through the process that you're talking about, Aubrey, of the egg retrievals. And you are absolutely right. It is a pain. Mm -hmm. And I cannot imagine being a female, knowing that you have cancer, having to wait. And when you're fighting for your life, you gotta make that decision whether or not that's the right thing for you.
1: I was just wondering if there's anything um else that you wanted to add.
5: It definitely gets better. Yes, it's not gonna feel great in that moment. You're gonna have times where you wanna give way, you don't wanna deal with that part of it, but it does get better. I've been living with my left leg gone for almost eight years now. I don't really miss it that much. I do normal things. Yes, I do use a wheelchair from time to time, but I do have a prostate leg as well. It does get better. I do rock climbing. I've gone rock climbing. I ride horses with my prostate. Don't really miss it that much.
2: You got to look up a guy named Hugh (laughs) Her. Ever hear him? No. Look him up. He lost his limbs as a rock climber from frostbite. He was a free climber. They told him he'd never climb again. And uh, he is a PhD for MIT and has designed some of the most advanced leg prosthetics that our country, our world has ever seen. All because he was told he would never climb again. Both legs gone. You got to look him up. He's an amazing guy.
0: Yeah, there were so many good times that we had and so many struggles. I mean, and, and my grateful feeling is the fact that she's still with us. She had gotten down to her lowest bottom weight. She weighed 51 pounds when she was in there and struggling. And so she's a little cracker,
1: <laughs> but just wanted to open it up for closing thoughts, goodbyes, appreciations, um, from everybody as we,
7: as we wrap up our time together. I'm excited to have been invited. I think, again, that these folks that have gone through this are just beacons of hope for the next guy in line because we just never
4: know. Thanks, Shelly, for this opportunity, for bringing us all together and for including me in this and allowing for this open space for us to kind of share and reflect and kind of give some hope, like you said, Lorraine, um, for future amputees and patients that may not know what they're getting themselves into. Um, You know, it doesn't, limb loss doesn't come without its challenges. But, you know, like I think we've seen in this podcast tonight in this conversation that there are a lot of silver linings. And, you know, I think like my main message whenever I meet with patients that are either losing their limbs or about to is just you're stronger than you believe. So I try to, you know, bestow that upon their parents and also the patient because you know it, it is about the mindset I think someone brought that up earlier it's if you have a positive mindset I think you can get through anything. it's the will to not want to other people to think you can't do it is stronger than the fact that you really can't So like I said thank you so much everyone and it was great to hear from everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to life on pause
4: ideas or suggestions for
1: future episodes feel free to share them with us join us for the next recording on the third tuesday of the month until Until next time. time